Let's pray and let's go. Father, thank you for this opportunity again to be in church. Thank you for what Mel just shared about this lunch thing we're going to do. Pray that it's going to be awesome. Pray that um, we all get involved in this. And Father, pray that as we come to your word now, Father, we ask that your spirit will be with us. We thank you for what's happening in, in the kids' ministries and the youth ministries and all that they're doing today. May they have a wonderful time with you and with others. And Father, as I speak now, anoint me for this task. Give me your words. Help me to remember what I prepared and give us ears and hearts open to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen? It was the beginning of year 12 at school. I was 17 years of age when I got serious about my faith. And I was so passionate about Jesus and what he'd done for us that I wanted to tell everyone about it. So at recess, at lunchtime, I would tell my year 12 friends, or so-called friends I could sit with. And any opportunity I got, I remember in 1995, Billy Graham did a, like a televised crusade thing at the Reesby Workers Club back in 1995. And so I got this poster, which would be like an AO, so bigger than that poster, right? Like much, about four times the size of that. And, and I asked the deputy's permission to put a, de- a poster up on the assembly. So imagine the assembly faced this way, and there was like this building with a, with a, with a triangle timber, timber roof behind the assembly. So I got a ladder and a staple gun, and I stapled this evangelism outreach. John 3.16 was on it, for God so loved the world, and I stapled it to the, to the massive board. So when the, when, the, when the thousands of kids turned up on the Wednesday morning for the assembly, they saw this and all the teachers were looking at each other saying, what, because this is a secular school, not, it's a government school, not a Christian school. What is this John 3.16 doing up in the government school? And, and then I got up on the assembly and I, and, and I had the opportunity to make the announcement about, if you, I don't know what I said, it was 20 years ago, but if you want to know about Jesus, that, and I had the opportunity to say God loves you, he gave his son for you to die on the cross, rise again, to have eternal life. I was so passionate about Jesus that that's just, what I wanted to do. I remember, I remember my economics teacher was also the deputy principal and regularly out of class. And that year I, I learned how to present the gospel drawing a little thing called Two Ways to Live, that God made us and you can choose God's way or the world's way. And so I remember I'm in my economics class getting on the whiteboard, might have been chalkboard back then, and drawing up this two ways to live and teaching the class about if you live God's way, you have eternal life, John 3.36. If you believe in the Son, you have eternal life, but if, you reject the, but if you reject the Son, you will not see life, for God's wrath remains on you or Him. And I shared this every opportunity I get, God. I was so passionate about Jesus. But what surprised me is that through all my preaching in year 12, only one person committed their life to Jesus from that school. I ran a youth group, kids got saved in youth group, ran a kids club, kids got saved in the kids club, went on beach mission, kids got saved, people got saved at beach mission. But at school, I preached and I preached and I shared and only one person got saved. And even at beach mission, we preached to hundreds but only a few and in the youth ministry, it's much, much easier ground because of the relationships and stuff but only a few. Why is it so hard for people to commit their life to Jesus? I remember, not, not, I remember, imagine if I spoke to my year 12 friend, 17-year-old boys, and I said, look, guys, I want to buy you one of these things. Now, 1995, this was, the, this was the Commodore. It was a VS. Did anyone drive a VS Commodore? I drove a VS Commodore once, not an SS V8. But imagine if I said to my 17-year-old blokes at East Hills Boys High School, hey, 
I want to give you a gift. I want to buy you a brand new VS SS V8 Commodore. And not only am I going to give you this car, I'm going to cover your insurance because it's going to be like $2,000 for insurance being driving a V8. Um, insurance, I'm going to cover all repairs. I'm going to cover all the petrol for the life of the car. How do you think they would have responded? Give it to me right now. Give it to me. You want that right now, Nathan? And the reason I share that is because what I was offering them was so much better than this VS Commodore. I was presenting to them the message of life. The message that rescues us from death and brings us into a relationship with God that lasts forever. I was offering them this, 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 this gift that saw their sin forgiven, that, that, saw, that, that saw their shame and their guilt to be lifted. An opportunity to have God as their provider, God as the one that leaded them, and the vast majority weren't interested. So here's a question for this morning. Why don't they believe? Have a think about the people in your world who you care about, who haven't yet committed their life to Jesus. Maybe family members, friends, maybe people in the workplace. Get some people, make it really specific for you. Get personal. Why don't they believe? I'm going to give you a heavy message this morning. I'm going to give you four reasons why they don't believe. And then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do about it at the end. Are you ready for the four reasons? In our Matthew chapter 13, we read the story of the parable of the soul. We looked at it last week. The kids are looking at it today in kids' ministry. How did the, how did the uh, grow pots grow? Did they grow this week? How did they go? Did anyone plant a plant in their grow pot? You planted some. Someone texted me saying there are... One of their family members suggested that they grow marijuana in their uh, pot. And uh, my text back was, maybe we can all grow marijuana and sell it as a church fundraiser. <laughs> no, Tony, doesn't, Tony doesn't want to get him. That was a joke. That was a joke, everybody. Tony doesn't want, that was a joke, just in case. Yeah, Tony's out. That was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. Move on. Medicinal, medicinal purposes only. Thank you, Kevin. In uh, the, the parable of the sower, we, we, we read about it in Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. It's in three of the Gospels, so it's an important passage. And I want us to look at the first type of people, the first soil. And Jesus tells the story of a, of a man who sows seed. He throws it out, and some of it lands on the path. And because the ground is so hard... The seed doesn't grow in, but rather the birds come and eat the seed of the path. And then Jesus gives us the meaning of that parable, or that part of the parable. He says this, Listen then to what the parable of the soul means. When anyone who hears about the message of the kingdom, sorry, I'm going to go this slide better, message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. When anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. So we present the message to people and they don't believe. Satan snatches that message from their heart. 
So four things this morning. Why don't they believe? First one is this. People have hard hearts. In that passage, if you've got Matthew 13 open, and I encourage you to do it, you've got the verse at the, at the beginning, I think it's verse 1, I'm pretty sure it's verse 1 of, of that, Jesus talks about the parable. And then they, at, verse, at about verse 10 or something, he has a, he, he has a gap, and then later on he then gives us, gives us the meaning of, meaning of the parable. But in between the parable and the meaning of the parable, there's this really, really important text. And I want to grab a couple of verses out of it, verses 14 and 15. This is what Jesus says. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become, what's the word? Hard. Like the path? Hard. Hard, hard ground, like a cricket pitch. It's hard. And the seed goes on and it doesn't go down. It sits on the, it's like a cement, cement path or a, or a deck for us. It's hard. Exactly, Tony, it's not. It doesn't. No, not. It doesn't. That's the other soil. We're talking about the people who hear the word and the seed doesn't go in, so it doesn't grow. That's the point. And then he goes on, it says this. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, Jesus says, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, Jesus is saying people's hearts have become so calloused, so hard, that they see but don't understand it. They hear and they don't get it. Because they did, Jesus would heal their hearts. Now, why is their hearts calloused? Why do people have hard hearts? Romans chapter 1. I love this passage. It gives us so much understanding of people and life. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, this is what Paul says to the church in Rome. The wrath of God, God's anger, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, really, really, really important, who suppress, squash the truth by their wickedness. Really important. The truth is that the truth is there, but it is squashed because of their wickedness. So squashed, in fact, they can no longer see the truth because of their wickedness. Look at this, verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So the people are without excuse. In other words, as you look out, you should see who God is by what he's done. But guess what they did? For although they knew God, although they saw what he did and recognized that he is God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile or um, without purpose, just useless thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What we read here is that people can no longer see God in creation 
because of sin, because of wickedness, because of rebellion, rejection, ignoring over and over and over again. Although what God has made points to him and he's clear that he is good and he is the creator God, they no longer see it as true because of the wickedness of their heart. Dave Thomas, come on down. Illustrations for you this morning. I needed someone who was wearing glasses, otherwise this would not work. When, when, yeah, that's, that's good. We're, this is a good height, I like this. When, when, when it started out, when the world started out, people could see the creation and they could see God even after the fall. But after a period of time, they, their wickedness started to blur their thinking. Thanks, Dave. And after a period, you have to pretend it's really, really dark. You can see through this. I should have got a black one. Not very well. Pretty smudgy. Pretty smudgy. But think of this as black, right? So much so that they can no longer see God in creation because of the wickedness and their sin. Is that clear? Thank you, David. Give him a clap, everyone. Thank you. Have you ever thought to yourself, why can't they... Like, have you, have, you, have you ever thought to yourself, those people who don't yet know Jesus, like, it's obvious who God is by what he's made. Can't they just see God? Well, friends, this verse tells us they can't see God through what he's made because of the callousness, because of the wickedness of their heart. They've suppressed the truth. They've squashed it. They can no longer see God. People have hard hearts. Second, oh, let me get back and say this to you. It's a bit like someone who's got a messy house. It wasn't messy at the beginning, but they went about life. And it became messy and they noticed it. But then after a period of time, the mess kept building and kept building and kept building. And the house was so messy that they came home and they did not see the mess anymore. It was normal. Such it is. We people, they can no longer see who God is through creation because of the wickedness of their heart. Why don't they believe, number one, hard heart? This is heavy this morning. Are we going okay? Number two, here it is. God's judgment on people. Ooh, that's heavy. In this passage from Romans chapter 1, it starts with, this is one we've already read, it starts with this. The wrath of God, the anger of God is being revealed from heaven. Friends, God's judgment on people is being revealed right now. How? Not by God whacking people or slapping people or zapping them. Rather, he has allowed people to live in the way they want to live. And by doing so, they reap the rewards of their behavior. Look at these verses, verse 24, same passage. After, after we've just read about the God's invisible qualities, but they didn't worship God, they worshipped other things. It says this, Therefore God gave them over, this is how God's judgments on people, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 27, Men committed shameful acts with, one, with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. If you act poorly, you get bad results. You reap what you sow. If you're a thief, it will come back and get you. If you hang out with gangs, that will hang out, that, you will reap the corruption of your life. And in here, God's judgment is upon us, not upon us because we're Christians. Well, hopefully you're a Christian. God's judgment is upon people who aren't Christians because 
He has allowed people to live in their way and reap the rewards of the way they're living. The second part of this is going back to that verse in Matthew. Matthew 13 says this, They'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. They'll hearing but not understand. For this people's heart has become calloused. Now in this passage, Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, Isaiah has this vision of heaven. I saw the Lord high and exalted. He has the picture of the throne room and he sees the wonder of God. And and God says, who is going to go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You know this passage? You know this passage? And then he says this, the, the, the bit that we don't talk about. He says, now this is the message I want you to preach. He preaches a judgment message to the people because of their rebellion. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 6, this is what God says. Make the heart of this people calloused. The judgment of God is that he has made, allows and makes people's heart calloused because of their wickedness. And that callousness separates them from God. And that happens throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over again through the Old Testament, as people disobeyed God, he separated himself from them. People separated themselves from God and God separated himself from people. And he allowed nations to come and take them over to show them that they were sinning, to show them that they needed a Savior, that they needed God in their life. And so God allows callous hearts, but also makes callous hearts. And it's interesting in Matthew 13, Jesus says about what's happened. For this people's hearts has become callous. It's the outworking of what happened in Isaiah 700 years earlier. Two. God's judgments on people. Why don't they believe? Hard hearts. God's judgment. Thank you, Shelley. Number three. Satan blinds people's eyes. In this verse from 2 Corinthians 4, 4. This is what it says about Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who's the God of this age? Satan. He's the God of this age. Little g. He has authority. We gave him authority in the garden. He's also described in Ephesians 2, 2 as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I'll, re- I'll give you this scripture now. Oops, where is it there? He is described as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan is influencing those people who don't yet know Jesus. Going back, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I need another volunteer. Who'd like to be my volunteer? This is not, I'm not going to draw on you. Anyone will do. This is not going to hurt you. Come on, Mel. Actually, you've got glasses. You're no good. Someone else. It's not going to work. Someone, come on, Kent. Thank you. I'm going to put a blindfold on you, Mel. So what we're going to do is, Kev, what we're going to do, we need everyone's help. Get out your iPhones or your smartphones for a second. Kev, can you see? Turn around three times. And what I want you to do, um, church, keep going, spinning around, spinning around. Okay, stop there. Fine. And, and, and what I want you to do is to shine the light of your torch at Kevin. And Kevin, what I want you to do is go to a, go to a light. Go. Find a light, Kev. Go to one of the torchlights. Kev, go to a torchlight. See my point? This is what you can say there. This is what Satan's done. The light's there, but Kev can't see it because Satan has blindfolded us. Thank you, mate. You're done. Give Kevin a hand. 
The light's there. People can't respond because Satan is blindfolded. How? I'm not too sure. Maybe like the, like the parable of the sower that he snatches it. That's coming next in a moment. Ephesians 2.2, like I just read, said that, he's, that he influences those who are disobedient. Thanks. Thank you, Teddy. We're unsure how he does it, but you could maybe talk about it, but he does it. Why don't they believe three things? Number one, hard hearts, God's judgment. Third one, that Satan blinds eyes. And the fourth one, and the final one, is that Satan steals the message. This is what we read in the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is a seed along the path. Although we preach to them, the message is stolen. So they can't believe. In summary, why don't they believe? Hard hearts, God's judgment, Satan blinds eyes, and Satan steals the message. Now, for me, when I read this, I go, holy dooly. Holy dooly. People in this spot, before someone comes to Jesus, when you read this, you go, well, they can't. They can't on their own anyway. People have got dark hearts. They've got judgment. They've got Satan blinding them. They've got Satan stealing the message. There is no way, no way, those people in your world can come to know Jesus on their own. There's not. I remember when I was a teacher at um, the uh, school, when I was a high school teacher, and we'd have swimming, and we'd go to the annual swimming carnival at the beginning of the year. And where I taught, we had lots of kids who came in from the Middle East, from Afghanistan and Iraq, and they'd come to the swimming carnival. And, and the uh, first race would start, and the kids would swim, and the kids from, some of the kids from Iraq and Afghanistan would look and go, swimming? I think I can do that. They've never done it before, right? That can't, that can't, that can't be too hard, can it? Can it? So what they'd do, they'd, they'd uh, get on the block, and boom, and in they not dive, in they plop, and then, and then one of the teachers would have to dive in and, and drag them out. Without a teacher dragging them out, without a teacher rescuing them, those 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 kids were done, were drowned. The other day, Michelle and I were at a pool watching Alicia swim, and we deliberately took a life jacket off. We were right on the side of the pool, and we wanted to see how she'd go. She was holding on to this noodle, and she let it go. And we're watching, so it wasn't dangerous. And guess what happened to Alicia? Without Michelle, and I'll sit next to you, Michelle, your turn. And, she, and, she, and Michelle jumped in, fully clubbed, you had your costume on, um, and, and pulled her out. But without Michelle jumping in, Alicia, she's no more. This is the state of people who have not, of, of, of these unbelievers. They are drowning, and they can't, save themselves. They're like the people, the path where the seed is put on, but they don't believe because their heart is so hard. They cannot be saved. There's nothing that they can do, nothing they can do to rescue them, to, to rescue themselves. So how do they get saved? They need a saviour. They need someone, and it's not even us because we present the message and the message gets stolen. They need God himself. 
to come and to soften that person's heart. They need God to do what is impossible. When Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, and he was a man who had all this stuff and wasn't willing to give up his wealth, and talked about Jesus as it's easy for a rich man to, no, a camel to go through the eye of a needle for then for a rich man to be saved. And, and, and the disciples said then, well, who can be saved? And that's the point. In their own strength, no one can be saved. And then Jesus says this, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Friends, salvation is the biggest miracle of God. Without God touching hearts, without God drawing people to himself, people are stuffed. Is that okay to say? They are. It's true. They, they are dying and will die. Matthew 16, um, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. And then Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. And this is how Jesus replies to him. Blessed are you, Simon, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but rather by my Father in heaven. God revealed this truth to your heart. That's why you believe it. Jesus says this in John 6, 44, No one can come to the Father. Oh, I should read the passage, no, rather memorize it. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me. This is Jesus. No one can come to Jesus unless, unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. The only way someone can be saved is if God works in their life, if God opens their hearts up, if God by his spirit starts to work in them, opens them, prepares them, so that when that message is sown, when it is preached, it goes deep into their hearts and they receive Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Without him, without him, they're stuffed. So to finish this message, what can we do? Now let me say this very clearly. Jesus is the hero. God's the hero here. He's the rescuer, not us. But he asks us to co-labor. Fee mentioned that this morning. And, and partner with him. Partner with him. And it's the first thing we can do is to pray. Pray for God to open hearts. It talks about that in Ephesians 1, Colossians 4, Ephesians, Ephesians 6. Pray for God to open hearts. Think about those people in your world. Those family, those, start, those workplace, your family, your friends that don't know Jesus. They cannot get saved on their own. Everything's against them. It's only if hero God, saviour God, moves in their life and touches them and opens them that they can be saved and we have a part to pray that God would move in their lives, that God would open hearts, that God would remove the veil, that God would soften the callous heart so the message can go in deep. How often do you pray for your unsaved family and friends? Boom. Let's get real. Those people that you work with who aren't saved, those friends, those family, that next-door neighbours, the people in the soccer club, how often do you pray for them? 
that you cry out to God saying, God, this person, God, move in their life. How often do you, how often do, you do that? Finally, keep throwing seed. Keep sharing the message. Like the sower, kept on throwing, kept on throwing. Pray, pray. God, open hearts and keep on sharing. And don't just use words. Do it through your lifestyle. Do it through your actions. Love people, serve people, influence people for his name's sake. As we finish this morning, what's, what's one thing you're going to take home from this message? And maybe this is the thing you can share at morning tea, the 321, and they ask you, what's the one thing? What's the one thing from this message that you're going to take home today? Don't just look at me, think. What's the one thing? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus. If you're here, you're not, you're not here by accident. I believe God is moving in your life right now. God is softening your heart. It is, he has prepared you. He's preparing you. This moment can be your moment. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if you want to commit your life to Jesus, pray this prayer after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen.